Welcome to Concept Checker, the case of terrorism. I'm your host, Francois Roland. Welcome back. In this episode, we look at some standard current definitions of terrorism in your good old dictionary, for starters. And I picked the definition in EU law and the definition of the FBI. And once we've looked, looked at these, we're going to move on to questioning them. Let's go. There's a lot of work to do. So let's start with the dictionary. At home, we had this family English dictionary we like to call Uncle Max's pocket dictionary. It's a big dictionary, like more like a grimoire than a dictionary. You'll understand when I describe it. It's Webster's New 20th Century Dictionary of the English Language, published in 1948, and it's nearly 2,400 pages thick, which translates in measurements as 28 by 22 by 13 centimeters, which is 11 inches by 8 and fifth-eighth of an inch, and five and a half inches thick. So it's a really big pocket. And I picked this one because it's immediately after World War II, and this phenomenon of terrorism has not yet submerged the world. And here's what the words, here's how the words are defined. So let's start with terror from Latin, terere, to frighten. So first sense is extreme fear, violent dread, fright, fear that agitates the mind and body. So literally trembling. And the second meaning is that which may excite dread, the cause of extreme fear. And the example given is the, those enormous terrors of the Nile. And there's also holy terror, colloquial, an object of constant dread as a mischievous and disorderly boy or girl. Then there's the reign of terror, a period which people are generally afraid of a great calamity, specifically the reign of terror in the history of France, the period of about a year beginning in March 1793 during the revolution when all persons obnoxious to the dominant faction were executed. Synonyms alarm, apprehension, dread, consternation, fear and fright. Terrorism is a state of being, dign of being terrified, a state impressing terror, the act of one who terrorizes, a system of government by terror, the practice of exercising intimidation to coerce people toward a certain course. And then we have terrorists. So first, an agent or partisan of the Revolutionary Tribunal during the reign of terror in France. So it's a very specific meaning. That's the first sense of the word terrorist. There's one of these guys practicing as judges, if you will, in the revolutionary tribunals. And the second meaning given, anyone who governs or seeks to govern by terrorism, an advocate of terrorism. Then, the next word we have, terrorize. Verb transitive, terrorize, past participle, past participle, terrorizing, present participle. To impress with terror or fear, to sway by terror, to terrify, to appall, to frighten. And then there's another word, terrorizer, one who terrorizes. And then there's the word terrorless, free from terror. Then there's terror smitten, struck or affected with terror, terrified, terror struck. Now it's very interesting, these definitions, because you see, we're not talking about some group who has formed and by force of arms, by detonating a bomb someplace or attacking a venue 
with a lot of people would seek to, well, terrorize. When we talk of terrorist, and terrorism specifically and only defined as something that would be used by the state towards its citizens, by abusing the powers of the state and the means of the state. So when we look at the same Webster in 1981, so this is Webster's third New International Dictionary unabridged. It's a boring three-volume entity, brown-covered. And what does Webster tell us in 1981 about terrorism? So, terror, Middle French, terror, Middle English, terror, Latin, terere, to frighten, akin, akin to Greek, train, to flee from fear, be afraid. Sanskrit, trasati, he trembles, is afraid. So first A, one A, a state of intense fright or apprehension, stark fear, disquietude had devel developed into fright, fright into terror, from Emile Gaborio. Or another example, every beast jarred out of tranquility into terror was spending strength in flight. Davison. Second sense, terribleness, the dramatic, apocalyptic, terribleness, concentrated bombing attacks, Anthony West. And second, 2A, one that inspires fear, threat, scourge, or a frightening aspect, withdrawals, well, a cause of anxiety. And then, at last, reign of terror, then there's terror, terrorful, terrorism, terrorisme, in French, Latin terror, plus Frenchism, one, the systematic use of terror as a means of coercion. And second, an atmosphere of threat or violence. In the example given, study the effects of child, of children, on children of terrorism in TV shows. Let's move on to terrorists. An advocate or practitioner of terror as a means of coercion, especially a Jacobin. So back to the French Revolution again. And second, one who panics or causes anxiety. Now that's a... One who panics or causes anxiety. So it's both one who is affected by terror and the one who causes terror. Both would be, in this sense, terrorists, which is bizarre. Now, this is 1981, and the world has experienced the collected works of the likes of the Irish Republican Army in Northern Ireland, the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, or the Red Army Faction in Germany, and so on and so forth. So... What happened between 1948 and 1981? Well, terrorizer, as a word, has vanished from the Websters. And the word terrorist now is being defined as a word that both applies to the, the one who causes terror and the one who is affected by it, which is completely bizarre. Now let's fast forward to 1997. And this time we're looking at the regular pocket dictionary of Merriam-Webster. You will find them on any shelf. So, the 1997, the Webster, tells us that terror is a state of intense fear, fright, so one that inspires fear, synonyms panic, consternation, dread, alarm, dismay, horror, trepidation. Then there's terrorize, with S, British variant, variant of terrorize, with Z, and then there's terrorism. The systematic use of terror, especially as a means of coercion, and in the same entry, terrorist, adjective or noun. So, oh, 1997, Terrorist doesn't even have its own entry. And terrorism is basically, well, using fear to coerce. I don't know what the thick version of Merriam-Webster said in 1997, but you can see that the definitions, even in such mundane sources as a Webster dictionary, have shifted and starting to get a little mangled over the course of half a century. So next, let's look at the laws. 
So what does it say in the law? I chose the EU law and the definition in the FBI. Why? Because EU law affects all member states. So that it is effectively how in continental Europe this phenomenon is defined. And through the uh, European Court of Justice, it affects... The, the basis of the EU law affects many countries outside the EU, which makes it an important legal reference. And the definition of the FBI uh, is also uh, influential even outside the United States. What is interesting in the EU version is that it is a council framework decision of June 13th, 2002. So that's just not even a year, it's like eight months after September 11th. And it's called the Council Framework Decision on 13th of June 2002 on Combating Terrorism. So I'll cut to the cartridge and go right to Article 1. Terrorist offenses and fundamental rights and principles. Each member state shall take the necessary measures to ensure that the intentional acts referred to below in points A to I, as defined as offences under national law, which, given their nature or context, may seriously damage a country of an international organization, were committed with the aim of, firstly, seriously intimidating a population, or, secondly, unduly compelling a government or international organization to perform or abstain from performing any act, or, thirdly, seriously destabilizing or destroying the fundamental political, constitutional, economic or social structures of a country or an international organization, shall be deemed to be terrorist offenses. A. Attacks upon a person's life which cause death. B. Attacks upon the physical integrity of a person. C. Kidnapping or hostage-taking. D. Causing extensive destruction to a government or public facility, a transport system, an infrastructure facility, including an information system, a fixed platform located on the continental shelf, a public place or private property likely to endanger human life or result in major economic loss. E. Seizure of aircraft, ships, or other means of public or goods transports. F. Manufacture, possession, acquisition, transport, supply, or use of weapons, explosive, explosives, or of nuclear, biological, or chemical weapons, as well as res research into and development of biological and chemical weapons. G. Release of dangerous substances or causing fires, floods, or explosions, the effect of which is to endanger human life. H interfering with or disrupting the supply of water, power, or any other fundamental natural resource, the effect of which is to endanger human life. I, threatening to commit any of the last uh, of the acts listed in A to H. Now, this definition is quite broad. And there is one aspect that is not addressed in that definition, and that is what we would colloquially call propaganda and misinformation.
Sometimes you don't need to detonate a bomb, you just need to spread some half-baked massive lie, as we have experienced recently. And it can have tremendous effect in the body politic in a way that a car bomb cannot. And usually it's done by states, but today, by technological advancement, even individual or groups are have the means to spread their ideas or their lies in the public sphere very easily. And, uh, well, one of the most effective uh, disinformation propaganda campaigns from what we still call terrorist group uh, was done by the Islamic State. And it were, and, um, I mean, I saw one or two of their videos, and what struck me was they used all the codes in their videos, all the visual codes of these American uh, ego shooter games. It was the exact same kind of graphical code they used, and they used it very efficiently, which contributes to explain how they managed to draw so many people from outside their territory to join them because they were using all these high-tech, very westernized graphical content to attract them. Now let's turn to United States law. Definitions of terrorism in the U.S. Code. So it's under Title 18 of the United States Code, Paragraph 2331, and it defines international terrorism and domestic terrorism for purposes of Chapter 113b of the Code entitled Terrorism. International terrorism means activities with the following three characteristics. Involves violent acts or acts dangerous to human life that violate federal or state law. Appears to be intended, firstly, to intimidate or coerce a civilian population, secondly, to influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion, or thirdly, to affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction, assassination, or kidnapping, and occur primarily outside the territorial jurisdiction of the U.S. or transcend national boundaries in terms of the means by which they are accomplished. The persons they appear intended to intimidate or coerce, or the locale in which they perpet their perpetrators operate or seek asylum. Domestic terrorism means activities with the following three characteristics. Involves acts dangerous to human life that violate federal or state law. Appear intended, firstly, to intimidate or coerce a civilian population. Secondly, to influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion. Or thirdly, to affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction, assassination, or kidnapping, and occur primarily within the territorial jurisdiction of the U.S. United States Code's Title 18, paragraph 2332b, defines the term federal crime of terrorism as an offense that is calculated to influence or affect the conduct of government by intimidation or coercion or to retaliate against government conduct, and is a violation of one of several listed statutes, including paragraph 1930C, relating to killing or attempted killing during an attack on a federal facility with a dangerous weapon, and paragraph 1114, relating to killing or attempted killing of officers and employees 
of the U.S. Pfizer defines international terrorism in a nearly identical way, replacing primarily outside the U.S. with totally outside the U.S. In United States Codes, Title 50, Paragraph 1801C. So that was word for word what definitions are in the law in the U.S. And that particular definition, or these definitions, are both very broad and very narrow because they state the intentions, the aims of the, the, the actions, and focus almost exclusively on actions with, which would threaten human life or, the, or bodily integrity of the victims. So this understanding of terrorism is focused mostly on what the actors engaging in these acts want to achieve. That is what guides the qualification of terrorism here, which is both good and bad, because with, as you saw in European law, there are there's a whole list of what exactions exactly are considered as such to be terrorism, whereas here in US law you don't have such a extensive list. And it's good because it means that it can be applied to actions which have not yet been imagined. Like it's something unimaginable on one hand. So it can, okay, this is, they did this thing. We've never seen this before and this is what they intended to do. Therefore, that is terrorism. On the other hand, it also means that it can be easily misused because if a government decides that doing a certain thing uh, is uh, an unacceptable way of protesting uh, against the government, I don't know, blocking a building, for example, uh, then they may use terrorism. It's, it's, uh, so it's uh, kind of a... It can, it can be dangerous in this sense, depending on what, on, in whose hands this uh, understanding of terrorism ends up. And that is, I believe, one of the reasons why, when you have this word terrorism, it usually is qualified. So you end up with nearly 200 different definitions of terrorism. So you have bioterrorism, chemical terrorism, nuclear terrorism, maritime terrorism, digital terrorism, which basically these qualifiers describe the means used to carry out the actions, usually. And what I want to do is try and find what is so specific about this particular phenomenon of political violence that makes it so difficult to have agreement internationally about what it is. Because, well, the Webster couldn't handle it, and apparently lawyers have difficulty handling it as well. So, in the US it's all like, okay, let's focus on the intentions. In Europe it's more like, okay, this is all the kinds of actions we've seen, these we know are terrorism.
Now I'll turn to the history of the word. Terrorism is one of these words that can be precisely dated and attributed. It first appeared in 1796 in a book by Edmund Burke, who was a British politician, philosopher. He was born in 1729 and died in 1797 and is considered one of the main thinkers of conservatism. He was staunchly opposed to the French Revolution and he made his ideas and criticisms known in a book called Letters on Regicide Peace, which was published a year before his death in 1796. And in this book, he comments on the French Revolution, specifically, among other things, about the phase called la terreur, the terror, which was a word used by the revolutionary, the Jacobins themselves at the time. And this was a period in the French Revolution that lasted roughly from fall of 1792 to summer 1794. It was the time of Robespierre, who wound up in 1794 under his own guillotine. And he considered that Robespierre and his government were illegitimate, illegal government, a, a tyrannical power. And uh, he called them terrorists in reference to their own terminology. And terrorism in this context specifically meant the abuse of state means, of state power and arms against your own population. So it is something that is carried out by the state. In a, in a way, it was a synonym for tyranny. But today, when we talk of terrorism and a terrorist, we do not think of a statesman or an agent of the state. We think of a group of private citizens who have organized themselves, armed themselves, and are carrying out, carrying out indiscriminate attacks indiscriminate in the sense they do not discriminate between military targets and civilian targets. Usually they prefer civilian targets today. But how did we get from Edmund Burke calling Robespierre and his supporters terrorists to calling someone like Osama bin Laden a terrorist, who's obviously not a statesman? Well, there's an evolution in the meaning between the French Revolution and the mid-1800s, because then, under Tsarist Russia, who was arguably a tyrannical regime, there emerged anarchist groups who sought to overthrow the Tsar. And these Russian anarchists were called by the Russian state terrorists which was an inversion of the meaning, because the these anarchists, for them, the terrorists were, well, the Tsar and the chief of secret police and all those who supported them, and they carried out 
assassination attempts against uh, officials across Russia. These attacks against officials were usually carried out, well, obviously with guns, and most famously with these proverbial bombs, homemade bombs. It were round, filled with black powder, and with a fuse in it that they would light at the last moment and throw against their targets. Uh, these are the kinds of devices you see in cartoons nowadays, sometimes. Well, I'm thinking B.B. Uh, Coyote, for example, uh, when he has these, tries and throws throw a self-made bomb uh, against the beep beep and usually lands on his feet or something of that nature. Well, these were the devices they were using. And uh, because at the time they didn't have photography, uh, when it was reported in the newspapers, uh, you had this uh, bushy beard, uh, angry-looking Russian throwing this uh, device against a terrified target. And that captured the imagination for a long time afterwards. These were, in a sense, the first terrorists. But the first terrorist attack in the modern sense was carried out much earlier in 1800 on Christmas Eve against Napoleon in Paris. He was driving with his wife Josephine through the streets and on his passage a carriage full of barrels of powder detonated he escaped unscathed, but several people, I believe it was five people, were killed in the Rue Saint-Nicaire, and about two dozen others were injured. And it was known as uh, a machine infernal, an infernal machine. This was one of the first terrorist attacks. Now, what happened after the mid-1800s was defined by the technological advancement because in 1847 a chemist discovered nitroglycerin he figured that it was an explosive but it was difficult to handle so it took another 16 years to make it into something easily usable which was TNT trinitroglycerin and it took until 1902 to master this substance when the German army started filling its shells, its artillery shells, with TNT. At the same time, there were also some uh, innovations in, in guns. And by the 1880s, there were semi-automatic rifles. Dynamite was patented by Alfred Nobel in 1867. So the combination of dynamite and better guns meant that certain groups, private citizens, could get hold of sufficient firepower to severely disrupt public order in a way that would have only been possible before that if they had, uh, you know, rioted en masse, uh, 
set up barricades and confronted the army in that way, for example. So now the ability to to exert violence against the state was increased for individuals. And of course, as the weapons technology evolved, so did the capacity of small groups to act in a very public and very spectacular way increase. In the early 1900s, 1901, 1902, that was the Boer War, there were uh, the, a, a new kind of tactic uh, came to the fore, and it was what we know today as commando. That's a word from Portuguese and was adopted uh, by the Boers to fight the British, who were militarily far superior. But the Boers knew the terrain in South Africa, and so rather than confront the British troops in the open, they retreated into the bush and constituted small, highly trained, well-equipped, determined groups of soldiers to carry out attacks um, very deep in enemy territory and harass British troops. Now, the way the British then responded was a scorched-earth policy including, well, destroying crops, destroying all the cattle, dwellings, infrastructure, if there was any, and um, locking up tens of thousands of civilians, men, women, and children indifferently, in camps and starving them to death, which was the invention of the concentration camp. And after a year of this, the Boers laid down their arms. And this concept of the commando proved so influential that it was eventually adopted in armies by World War One, and became a staple of uh, most military forces around the world. And the concept of the commando combined with the ideological drive of uh, these groups, which we know as, as terrorists, well, that gave birth to what we know today as terrorism. And then immediately after World War II, uh, there were uh, attacks that were carried out like that. For example, against the British, again, in Iraq, uh, like with car bombs, with uh, uh, truck bombs, with uh, ambushes against officials or troops, and uh, also in Mandate Palestine, uh, both from uh, the Arab side, but especially from the Zionists from the Haganah side, and most famously the bombing of the King David Hotel, which was the headquarters of the British in uh, Jerusalem, and which led to the British quitting Palestine and leaving the Haganah and the Arabs to figure it out amongst themselves. They still have it. Anyway, then after World War II, we have rocket propelled grenades. We have machine guns. We have anti-tank missiles. We have different kinds of high explosives, and so on and so forth. And it takes until roughly the 60s. 
And then in the 60s, this terrorist phenomenon really picks up and becomes more and more widespread. Yet the meaning of the word terrorism, basically, is it's not it is it is picked up directly from the russian and russian definition basically of the 100 years earlier again against the the russian anarchists who are by now the archetypal terrorists and there is no fundamental reflection about what this phenomenon is and what it implicates in terms of political philosophy. So to conclude this second episode, I'm going to look at what we've seen so far and um, draw a few lessons. So we saw what the law said in Europe and in the United States and the different approaches we also saw the overview, an overview of the history of the phenomenon and where the word originates from. Concerning the definitions, we see that it is defined as a type of violence which targets the state and the policies of the state in an attempt to sway it. So it is heavily reliant on publicity. So the more spectacular it is, the more confused, shocked uh, the public opinion is, and therefore the public opinion being somewhat frightened, the politicians are then called upon to act uh, on it, and therefore the state then has to respond, whichever way it decides to respond, uh, to, the, uh, to these aggressions. The basic idea is that the so-called terrorists communicate that if they can attack this particularly exposed and known person or institution, then they could also strike anybody else, uh, any, uh, all the citizens. They, they attack basically a sense of safety in the public sphere and create a um, blackmail situation. So it is a, a profoundly political phenomenon, for one, and it hits at, a, at the most sensitive aspect of the institutions, namely their legitimacy and the legitimacy of power of the state and of the government. So it is about who politically controls public opinion. And because it hits at such a sensitive part of the political uh, structure, the state responds in kind by increasing its means of repression. And depending on how, how emotional, perhaps, how the emotional response is, how great the fear is that is created by these aggressions, well, the state responds more or less discriminately. And with respect to the Webster, there's one word in the 1948 version that I thought was very interesting. There is the word terrorizer. So you have the terrorist, 
that's the Jacobin in the French Revolution. And then there's a different entry called the terrorizer. And today, what we call terrorists is effectively what in 1948 the Webster called a terrorizer. And that word has vanished and been replaced by terrorist. And therefore, its meaning was completely inverted. Also, because we're talking about um, a word that is also used in law, uh, I note that it is a very emotional word. There's hardly any other more extreme emotion than terror. And because it is so powerfully emotional, I think, that it also impedes the ability to think about it and to think it through in a way that basically excludes uh, or at least mitigates the initial emotional reaction to it, which is to condemn it and go to ever more extreme measures to suppress it. In the next episode, I will talk about the etymology of terror, where it comes from, what is its initial connotation, and I'll go back into Latin and Greek and Sanskrit and so on, and look at the associated semantic field that we find and see if we can learn something from that investigation that helps us develop a new concept or a number of new concepts. Thank you very much for your attention and uh, talk with you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.